3CR would like to acknowledge that we broadcast on the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri and Boon Wurrung people of the Kulin Nation, who are the traditional owners and custodians of this land upon which we live and work. We pay respect to Elders past and present and extend that respect to other Indigenous Australians who may be in our audience or listening to this broadcast. We acknowledge the continued resilience of First Nation peoples in the face of ongoing colonisation and settlement and that sovereignty was never ceded and a treaty never signed. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. And good morning, Wednesday Breakfast listeners. How are we today on the 1st of March 2023? I'm Claudia and I'm here in the studio with Sonera. Hi, good morning everyone. And we have Grace back from Malaysia. Yay, hi everyone. How is it? I miss, miss you all. So we've got a full, full uh, shop here and we're actually going to be joined by Judith a bit later as well. Mm-hmm. So Judith is coming in to present um, a segment. So yeah, there'll be four of us today. Mm-hmm. It's um, suddenly really packed um, in the studio <laughs> when it was just me and you or like even sometimes me, uh, me and Claudia or like even sometimes just me here um, during summer. the last couple, yeah, during the summer really, yeah. So it's nice to have everyone back. Yeah. So uh, uni's back this week, so. Yeah, we just started this week, so it's been hectic for a while. It's only been like two days <laughs> and I re- we already have so many things to do yeah i can imagine yeah mm-hmm. so um how was malaysia oh it's been it was, it was really good i was basically away for three months as our listeners might have known <laughs> and like yeah i've basically just been spending time with my family uh going on vacation and hanging out with my friends back home and yeah it's been it's quite a while since i could do that when I was there so I really I really missed that I was very happy and so I was very happy that I could spend time with people and yeah just be happy <laughs> so now back to the grind and um <laughs> yeah honestly I felt so like um how would I say taken back by, by all the work that I suddenly have to do after being so rested for so long so yeah this was a very big challenge to like come back to what I've always been doing. Yeah. Perfect. Well, let's um, get on with our show. I think first up, we have a segment that you've produced, Sonera. Um, it was actually from last week um, about uh, on the Spoken Word program here at 3CR, and it was about the poet and playwright Mahmoud Aydani from Iran, um, which his story is very interesting and his poems are really great which he will share with the audience today and he shared last week so um we'll be starting our show off with that and just before that um we'll come uh just before we start that segment we'll go to a break and then we'll come back and uh after we hear from Mahmoud Adani, we'll be hearing from Liz Downs, coordinator of the Equatorial Endangered Campaign, 
and she'll be coming on to talk to Judith about a fundraising event happening on Thursday evening, the Ecuador Endangered and the Beehive Collection presents stories of community resistance, Black Spark Cultural Centre. So, yeah, that'll be a very interesting one. Uh, Judith's a bit of a bee expert at the moment, uh, so she's all over the bees. And then to round off the show at about 10 past eight, I'll be having a chat with Emily Sexton, who is the co-artistic director of Arts House. And she'll be telling us about a fantastic new dance festival called Frame, which will be running in Melbourne through the month of March. So, yeah, lots on today. And shall we start off with a song? We've got Broken Glass by the Cruisers and the Cruisers band members, get that one right, grew up in uh, the Kimberley district of Western Australia and this track uh, comes from uh, an album that was produced by Indigitube. The media in this country, we as Indigenous people know, have censored our right of telling the truth and the truth is what this country is most fearful of, in particular Indigenous truths. Until history is told by the vanquished lens, which is our people telling our story our way, and have the right to be able to incorporate that into a system of learning, well, people are always going to be denied that truth by deceit and lies. When you look at the type of psychological warfare, spiritual warfare that Aboriginal people are caught in, it's not just in the sense of military when they talk about weapons of mass destruction, but you're right, it's in terms of the media and the industry of media as a warfare against our people, and so is religion, I believe, in the Western sense. They're, they're all weapons of mass destruction against our, our people. We need to keep radical voices on air. Subscribe now. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 9419 8377. Well, if you listen to 3CR, clap your hands. If you listen to 3CR, clap your hands. If you listen to 3CR, I sure know where you are. If you listen to 3CR, clap your hands. If you listen to 3CR, clap your hands. If you listen to 3CR, clap your hands. We'll check out the happening vibe. We're gonna ring up and subscribe. If you listen to 3CR, flap your ears. What? Who the hell is that? Flap your ears. What are you talking about? I ain't no elephant. Get out of here. This is handmade radio. I'm Tash Sultana and you are listening to 3CR. Please subscribe, do yourselves a massive favour. Thank you very much. Did you know that 3CR received its community radio licence in 1976? 
Our application was successful because of our diverse and engaged community membership. Subscribers are at the heart of our station, and we really need you to be active and paid up in 2023. Become a 3CR subscriber today. Call 039419 or subscribe online at 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe. That was Broken Glass by The Cruisers. And now we're going to listen to Mamad Aidani speaking to Tina Giannoukos on 3CR's Spoken Word program. Aidani is a human rights active, uh, advocate, playwright, theatre di- director and psycho- psychosocial researcher and poet from Iran, which is also where his poetry has been banned. 
His work focuses on the experiences and traumas of Middle Eastern people, especially migrants, refugees, and asylum seekers who have all left their homes to settle in the West. Aidani himself was exiled from Iran in 1979 after the autocratic Shah was overthrown by um, by Ayatollah Khomeini, and this dishearted. Uh, uh, and he's disheartened at the Islamic fundamentalism that took hold of the country. Aidani shares a poem with Tina Gionukos on spoken word last week. Let's take a listen. Today on the program we have Mahmoud Aidani. Mahmoud was born and grew up in Iran. As a young man, he took part in the overthrow of the Shah in 1979 before going into exile when Khomeini declared Iran an Islamic Republic which Mahmoud fervently opposed. After leaving Iran, Mahmoud lived for a time in Italy before arriving in Australia in the mid-1980s. Never losing sight of his revolutionary ideals, Mahmoud today is a human rights advocate and an existential researcher into trauma and suffering, including that suffered by Iranian and Middle Eastern immigrants, refugees and asylum seekers who have resettled in Australia and the West. Mahmoud is also the Vice President of Penn International, Melbourne. Mahmoud has had one collection of poetry and a novel published, as well as having his plays performed at La Mama. Mahmoud, welcome to the program. Thanks, Tina. You have lived in exile from Iran for over 40 years. In your poetry, you often address the question of freedom. What does it mean for you to be a poet in exile from a country you love but where your work is banned? Hmm. Such a profound question, Tina. The first thing that comes to my mind is dictators want us to be like them, act like them, think like them. And I despise that. And I have always despised that. If I have to put into the context of your question, we need to always consciously be aware of those who want to impose their fanatical meaning in order to control our sense of freedom. That nutshell could perhaps be what I could, in a very short but sweet thing to tell you, that sense is that I always think and express when I get a chance. Perhaps you could uh, read a poem that speaks to freedom. Uh, This poem uh, was written a while ago. Freedom is the most precious and sacred thing that is. It's as short as it could be but it has a lot of meaning to me, like any others. Despair has no speech, nor has the separation, but freedom has. It speaks about them to me all the time. Well, I think it definitely gives the picture of how this poem represented itself to me when I'm deeply in total uh, concentration of why I have never experienced freedom in my homeland. You grew up in Karamsha on the Iran-Iraq border, a city destroyed in the 1980 Iran-Iraq war. What you knew as a child and as a young man, your neighbourhood, your home are gone. What does this destruction do to the psyche and imagination of a poet especially one in exile who cannot mourn with those left behind or experience together more recent changes? Mm. 
what does it do to your psyche? It could totally destroy it. Of course, there are, as you know, the different forms of uh, suffering and tragedies that human beings could experience, and they all are equally painful. But uh, the evidence shows that there is no pain worse than losing your hometown through war. So the, the impact of that, especially in the first decade of reflecting on it, was absolutely devastating. It made me shattered any time that you could imagine. And within those situations or conditions, of course, poetry always, the way that I perceive it, always presented itself to me. And this is where I learned how, don't ask me how, that imagination, for me, in order to survive, for me, does not know borders. I knew I belonged to a place. That place was taken away from me. But nobody could take my imagination. And that, the notion of borders came to me. For me, this notion become, and it still is, kind of a space of nurturing that freedom that you referred to in the first question, in my being, in my existence. And I have always loved it. I am in awe of my imagination, or anyone's imagination who lingers, dwells in these spaces. Would you like to read a poem uh, reflective of, of this? Sure. Um, it goes like this. I listen. I think. I reflect. Into the deep silence I go. And let the inner voice sings to itself, for itself, to me. So it's not me singing. I'm not the singer. Can you elaborate on that? I have never learned. I can sing. We all can sing. But in this case, reflecting on what I just said, responding to your previous question, imagination, and I let the inner voice sing to itself. I'm always observing that inner voice. I'm always alongside that inner voice to do whatever it wants to do for itself and to me. And that's where I come out and to the world and say what I can say. Do you have a, a poem that uh, speaks to the condition of exile? Uh, yes, an old poem. This is an old poem on exile, and I'll read it to you. In this cold, frozen silence, face to face with me, you are sitting. Whilst I am drowning in this lonely ocean of grief, I whisper to you, I have been amongst you. But where have I been? I have been from far away. But where has this far away been? I have been. But do you know what it is this I have been? Again, you can see the echo of that inner speaking to itself. I'm always become the listener. It sounds a bit strange for those who are not in the world of poetry, deep poetry. It doesn't have anything to do with mysticism, nothing to do with transcendentalism. It's you, entangled in the world which pushes you beyond you. And the poem speaks so powerfully in such a simple language. 
But what is significant to me in poetry, particularly in poetry, is the images and how the emotion carries them and delivers. There's a poem I'd love you to read, and it's uh, called I Have Always Been Thinking of You. Mm. Okay, thanks. Uh, hmm. I have always been thinking of you. I have always been thinking of you. When I learned how to write my name for the first time, when I looked at my father and mother's poor and proud faces, when I was going to bed hungry at night in that rented mudroom, when they dressed me in those old oversized second-hand clothes, when they told me they didn't have money to buy me a pair of new shoes, when at school my teachers told me I would never be anybody because I was poor, when one of them told me a child from my background never learns what education is all about, when I said to one of them in high school how much I love poetry and philosophy, he laughed at me, when I walked in the rain in the lanes and streets of my city and near the banks of the river that passed through it, when I think of solitude, when I think of joy, happiness and love, when thinking of those who tormented me, when I think of those who loved me, when I sat on those old jetties and looked at birds flying away to unknown places so freely, when I read all those books in parks and on public benches in my city, when I began to learn how to speak other languages, when I think of those complex philosophical texts so passionately struggling to read and understand their contents all over the years, when I feel lonely in exile, when I wandered in Paris streets, this city of light lost and hungry, when I reached the point of not knowing which direction I had to take, when I think of suffering and trauma, when I think of survival and resilience, when I think of the will to learn and think, when I was so lonely and desperate, when I think how many times I wanted to go back home, when I think how I resisted so hard against the temptations, when I worked as a grave digger in Perugia to earn money so I could feed myself, when I think of arriving at Bellissima Bologna for the first time and how I instantaneously fell in love with it, when I look up a different world to understand what it means, when I look down at Firenze from the top of beautiful Fisole, when I read Dante, Pirandello, Beckett, Proust, Calvino, Omar Khayyam and so many others, authors, work, when I felt abandoned and deeply misunderstood, when I get happy, when I think of my youth, when I walk those long distances in different cities all alone, when I look at the hills, the stars in the sky, when I sought protection under trees, when I sat in cafes in Rome and looked at the strangers passing by, when I thought and think of war and my ruined city, when I thought and think of my mother dying in solitude without me being able to be near her, when I woke up 
so many times from terrible nightmares, when I sang the most beautiful songs to myself, when I smiled, when I cried, when I laughed, when I wrote and write, when I thought and think of these long and arduous exile from home, when I think of friends I have lost, when I think how much I have lost and sacrificed, when I think of how much I have missed and achieved, I have always thought and think of you too. Freedom and justice. That is an amazing poem, inspired, moving, and full of the trauma of what you have experienced. Thank you. Thank you. Um, yes, um, this is the first time that I read it out loud. And um, just thinking about the genesis of this poem, and of course, the poem speaks for itself. It almost become irrelevant. <laughs> I was in a very, very uh, difficult, you always are in difficult situation, but as a poet, as a thinker, when the difficulty takes its own appropriate shape, <laughs> it has its uniqueness and it has its devastative uh, demand. I needed to do something with that demand. And this poem came and just poured out of me, out of control. And reading it, I realized how a poem comes with all its substance and its unique voice. You just become a carrier. Well, so that's that, certainly an inspired poem. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. It's, um, I'm lucky, privileged that it came out of me and even more grateful that you gave me this opportunity to actually read it in public because I, I never thought I could read this poem in public, particularly in this things. You need to be in absolute trust in the situation in which you read this kind of things. It's not just, I like to write poetry. And that was a beautiful poet by playwright and poet Mamad Aidani. Mamad is currently the vice president of Penn International Melbourne, and he also teaches hermeneutics and phenomenological philosophy at the Melbourne School of Continental Philosophy. And Judith is here now with a guest in the studio. Yes, it's so good to be here. And thanks so much, Sinaram. What an amazing poem. Uh, I try Very not to cry just before I do an interview, but <laughs> I have to say I was almost in tears listening oh, to it. Yes. Yeah, thank you for bringing that to us. Yeah, oh, wonderful. Goodness. And so as we all know it's so exciting to have people in the studio. It's so great. So Liz Downs is my guest. Liz, thank you so much for coming in this morning. Thank uh, you. <laughs> and uh, so Liz is the coordinator of the Ecuadorian, Ecuadorian in Danger campaign at the Rainforest Information Centre. <clears throat> she's also a member of the Melbourne Rainforest Action Group. And she's going to chat with us about what Australian mining companies are up to in Ecuador. So again, thanks thanks so much you got up early to come in. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah, but no trouble with the with the transport. No, it's all good. <laughs> hey, good. Okay. So look, before um we look at mining, Liz, I'm wondering if you can just tell us briefly about Ecuador. I understand it's one of the most diverse countries in the world. Yeah, so um Ecuador is um 
if anyone's you know um, obviously in South America um, it's, in, it's in the Andes um, just south of Colombia and um, what's special about it is that being on the equator it's incredibly biodiverse and it's also culturally diverse we've got about there's 14 indigenous nations who cover quite a lot of the country um, yeah. Yeah. So, so, and I'm aware that we've had a whole international conference on biodiversity late last year, I think December Mm -hmm. last year. And Ecuador was certainly one of the countries that was there and very vocal and, uh, Mm -hmm. yeah, asking for more support, I think financial support to maintain that biodiversity. Yeah, because, um, yeah, scientists estimate about 13% of the world species in total um, are in Ecuador. And that's, that's just the known species, so and that's including all you know, animal, mammals, reptiles, um, plants, you know, fungi, yeah. birds, and so, they're still yeah. discovering, well, finding new ones. I gather. Yeah, that's right. Um, and of course, I mean, as we we're just about to say, they're finding new ones as fast as those species are getting um, critically endangered by rampant. Um, particularly mining rampant extractivism. So Yeah. So let's go to mining. I mean, what's attracted mining companies to Ecuador? What are they after? So, yeah, this is a story that relates very closely to Australia, in fact, um, because what companies are mainly after is um, they're after gold, but they're also after copper. Um, and that's because the copper prices have exploded in the past few years due to demand for increased demand for the green energy transition for you know to get us out of climate collapse um and so all these companies are like wow pay dirt so we got to go to ecuador because um you know chile previously has provided a lot of the world's copper um but a lot of those mines are kind of winding down and they're not going to um, projected to meet demand so they're all sort of going up and, and ecuador is there um, with, you know, it's basically companies are speculating. I mean, they haven't found a lot yet, but they're speculating. Right, um, and, and they've yeah. got a sympathetic government in Ecuador, I yeah, gather. Yeah, they've got a sympathetic government who are kind of desperate to get the country out of poverty and um, you know, pay off huge international debts and trying to think of the fastest way possible to, to do that. And you mentioned earlier that a lot of the companies in Ecuador are Australian companies. So what Australian com- like what percentage are Australian? Um, so just almost exactly a third of the investment in Ecuador is Australian. Wow. And you know, I just want to quickly mention that what's what's relevant here is that Australia is um, a mining country, as a lot of people know, and um, not that's not just domestically, but it's also, um, you know, companies pushing overseas to, to mine, particularly in developing nations, which don't have a lot of, you know, regulation around how you conduct that mining. Yeah. So, so people, yeah. those companies can do things there that they wouldn't be able to do in Australia. Exactly. Or, or maybe they'd like to do in Australia, but they can't. Yeah, because Australia's actually more regulated. <laughs> yeah. So what are the names of some of the companies that um, are there, the Australian companies? I'm sure we'd be familiar with some of those names. Yes, you would be. So, um, I mean, BHP, most people know about BHP. Um, we've also got um, Fortescue Metals Group, which is twi- owned by Twiggy Forest, whom a lot of people have also heard of um, in terms of, you know, climate sort of... Um, yeah, I think he talks about green energy quite a lot. He talks about green energy quite a lot, but he's mine, <laughs> wanting to mine, uh, you know, <laughs> copper and gold and lead in Ecuador, so um, yeah, well. as well as other places. 
Um, uh, we've got, yeah, Hancock Prospecting. They've got a subsidiary out there. Um, What's the name of their subsidiary? Uh, Hanreen is uh, the name, yeah. And, um, so, yeah, Gina, that's Gina, Gina Reinhardt. Gina Reinhardt, Newcrest. We've got another one called Soul Gold, which is kind of a junior, but they've sort of got big boots and they're trying to, um, yeah, so quite a few out there. So, Liz, what's really special about you coming in this morning is you spent two months in Ecuador late last year and you got a chance to go around and meet people and particularly travel in those places where that mining is either occurring or planning to occur. So I'm wondering, I know people are concerned, what are they concerned about in relation to the mining? What did they tell you? Yeah, so there's quite a big resistance going on. Um and and from the grassroots, and this is it's kind of quite exciting because I mean you've got the government that's you know pushing the mining. You've also got um, some constitutional laws in Ecuador which are actually very pro nature. They've got they've got the rights of nature in the constitution, and these two things are kind of at polar opposites. And they and and in and the grassroots who are largely indigenous people. Um, you know, who, who are like, well, we, we need to protect our water water sovereignty and we need to protect our food sovereignty. And what this mining's doing is um, the fact that these concessions or these um, licences to explore were handed out to international companies or sold to international companies by the government with no um, consent whatsoever of the communities that are affected, and that's over 2 million hectares. And that's so in contravention of their own constitution. It's in contravention of their own constitution, actually. So people are now like, well, you know, this isn't fair. You know, <laughs> the first time we heard about these companies coming over was the helicopters coming over to do the geo-surveying. Uh, and then we're like, who are these people coming in in unmarked cars wanting to sell us jobs that don't exist? And, you know, um, what's going on here? And then, you know, oh, my goodness, our land's been sold to a mining company while we were asleep, basically, and... Um, so there is a, a there's a you know it started out as a lot of kind of front lines and we're working with some of them with the Rainforest Action Group, yes, and that's the, they're the people that are sort of mainly we've been working with over over the yeah. pandemic. So what is their main worry? Like what impact is this going to yeah. have on their on their land and their livelihood? So the impact mainly is water. Um, as I said, water sovereignty and food sovereignty. So water coming out of the Andes that is go- that is basically what people depend on for their livelihoods, for their you know their um, agriculture, for their um, you know the various forms of farming. I and mean, Ecuador is an incredibly rich food production country. It's tropical, so they can they can produce anything they need, but. Um, they've got to have the land and the clean water to do that. Um, and, yes. of course, they know, I mean, mining, there's already some mining in Ecuador that is heavily contaminated water supplies, so people know about that. Um, so they've already got some experience of, yeah. of what's likely to happen if this comes onto their own land. That's right. And also, I mean, as in Australia with Indigenous communities here in particular and, and you know, rural communities, I mean, they, they're just concerned. They're, they're losing their right to say no to what happens on their own land. Yeah, so, so all of that is concerning. Yeah. So, um, Liz, how have they responded? Like, have they? I understand they have taken some action. What have What have they done? Yeah, I mean, there's various things. Um, the main thing is probably legal actions. Um, get trying to get cases up as as far up in the court system as possible, and they need to do that because at the lower levels of court in Ecuador, <laughs> um, 
things can be very corrupt. As you know, it's easy for judges to be, you know, um, swayed by pro mining interests and and paid money and stuff. So, you know, the higher they get and the more they can use those constitutional laws, that, that's. But they need money to do that, and that's the problem. And there's virtually no international support for a lot of these communities. So, um, so they're often they're quite isolated. They're, they're quite out isolated. On their own. Yeah, I mean they don't have you know Leonardo DiCaprio or anyone sort of out there supporting them. Um, but they've got Liz Downs, and I think I think that's pretty <laughs> the good. Rainforest Action Group, which with our little tiny you know crowdfunding efforts, but um, yeah, so we're just going yeah yeah, um, yeah and yeah basically. And do they? I mean, so with a, I mean, as an Australian person being there, and with some of these in areas where there are Australian mining companies they must have had lots of questions for you about you know why is your country doing this how can Mm we get in touch with them and ask them to stop did that kind of thing happen when you were there yeah for sure and they're like they're very curious like well first they're like oh where's australia oh wow that's very far away (laughs) once they work out that australia's not in the u.s or europe which is you know i mean these are people that are not used to tourism they're you know, not used to contact with the outside world in a lot of cases. Mm. Um, although some are, are, do, are doing ecotourism, but mostly, yeah, anyway. So, yeah, they're just like, why are they doing this? And then you have to explain things like, what you know, the concept of a billionaire, like a multi-billionaire, which we have here. We've got, you know, people going out there that are worth $30 billion and they're like, million dollars? No, billion. Billion. Oh, Wow, okay, and getting that their heads around why someone with that much money would want to come and mine their land for, yeah, <laughs> you know. To get more why money. Our land? What, you know? what is this? Yeah. So, so how have they protested? How have they expressed their concerns? Yeah, um, you know, and through the normal channel, I mean, some people have, have blockaded, but that's that can be quite unsafe, um, you know, in Ecuador because people can get criminalised. Um, you really don't want to get thrown into jail over there because the jail I mean, is the criminalisation. The criminalisation of protests has become quite familiar here in Australia yes. as well. Totally. But, yes, yeah. but it's interesting. You it's know, before this interview, there. I uh, was looking at if, if you're criminalised and you're put in jail. Mm. I was looking at a Human Rights Watch report about jails, about Ecuador, and one of the things they highlighted was the terrible situation in jails. So if people are protesting and then put in jail for it, that they're going to be in a pretty terrible situation. That's right. And so, yeah, they, they're really, I mean, they're very, very careful to protest, very peaceful, low-key protest, protests. I mean, mm-hmm. um, you know, people uh, have that sort of ethos. We just want to, we protect our land peacefully, but of course, you know, people, they still get criminalised. It's still a problem. Um, some, some, some people are going down the track of doing public referendums, um, again, prone to corruption, but they, you know, they give it a shot and... But yeah, it's a really hard battle, and it's growing because the gov- you know the, the the national mining plan's rolling out, and and we're sort of like with our tiny little group of volunteers, we're sort of racing against the clock, yes, um, a lot because people you know as the, the more exploration takes root, and the more the less people can, and then of course it, the communities start getting divided by the mining companies. Yes, so, so just yeah. tell us a little bit about what that in, like how they how mining companies divide communities. How um, does that happen? So yeah, I mean it's like in Australia, you know. And everywhere they go in and they pick out the people who are most likely they, th- they think will be most likely to you know accept offers of jobs and they uh, ask who are them the families that you know would be most likely to have young people that will be willing to work and of course these jobs are bogus half the time I mean you know they don't yeah. employ locals they employ engineers from yeah. <laughs> elsewhere um, you know and then people start getting their hopes up and um, 
you know, and, and of course, well, they're promising, I mean, Indigenous communities, oh, do you want a school? Do you want your road fixed? All of that sort yeah. of stuff. It's yeah, very, I mean, ridic- you know, ridiculously familiar. Ridiculously <laughs> familiar because they do yes. the same thing in Western Australia and Aboriginal communities. So, you know. Yeah. So, Liz, yeah. tell us a bit about the you, tonight, there's, or not tonight, tomorrow night, Thursday night, there's an event on to raise funds. Can you just tell us a bit about the event? Okay, so um, this is a very quite exciting event with, and um, we've got some exciting partners um, by the name of the Beehive Collective, who some people may have heard of. They're an incredible kind of um, activist arts collective that work. You know, they're, they're they're doing a tour at the moment around Australia, and they've got these incredible posters. Uh, they're going around to schools. Um, very, you know, very engaging people. You know. Um, so we've got the Beehive Collective and we've got also Melbourne Rainforest Action Group um, and um, I'll be doing, in my little part, I'll be just doing a just a, um, a talk about, um, you know, just Ecuador, like how amazing it is and, and, and also some of the yes. people and sharing some of the stories of resistance. Great. Well, and yep. I mean, you know, today we've only been able to touch the surface of so many things mm-hmm. that are going on there. So if people are interested and want to find out more, then it's really good to go go to that event. So where is it being held? Okay, so it's being held at the Black Spark Cultural Centre, um, which is 235A St George's Road in Northcote. Um, so it's Black Spark and it starts at 6.30, it'll finish around 8.30. Great. So well, Thursday, second of March. That's Thursday, second of March. That's tomorrow night, six thirty. Yeah. So get your pen out, <laughs> put it in your diary because it sounds like an amazing event. And I think that the Beehive Collective—they have some people from Turtle Island as well. Yep, that's right. Yes, Turtle. Uh, so um, yeah, that, after our bit, they'll be doing another hour in their presentation, which is promised to be very engaging. Yeah, and we're talking yeah. North America and Canada. There. Yep. So we're talking about yeah. there again, but they're, they're going to be focused on the actually resistance, anti-capitalist resistance in Mesoamerica, which is where we tie into this sort of Latin oh, America I theme. Okay. Yeah. Um, so you know there'll be Ecuador section, there'll be you know more Central America section. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Yeah. Okay. Well, Liz, thank you so much for coming into the studio this morning. It's been really um, well. I don't. I don't know quite what to say. You know, uh, it's worrying what's going on. You pointed out early that the a lot of these resources are needed for you know change to to the to green power and to mm-hmm. use be used in that way. And uh, but at the same time, the same old practices. So they might be going to green. Um, energy, mm. but the mining companies don't seem to have changed any of their practices. They're not using green practices. There's still sure. threats to water and land and to the rights of Indigenous people. So thank you so much for coming in. Thank to, you. To tell us. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. And thank you for, uh, thank you, Jane, for joining us today. Um, we'll just be back after a song break. Should I take your hand? Would you help me understand? I'm searching for the truth there in the dark I know I don't know but there's a yearning in my heart And it speaks to me If I'm awake or sleeping Mm -hmm. I've been 
waiting for some time to feel your good heart feeling mine. I've been hurting for a past I cannot change. I'm not looking for anyone to blame. So just walk beside me to a place where we'll be. In this together, in this together. In Through the sun and through the rain, we will travel, my dear friend. Seeing all those things we never saw before, and now we understand each other so much more. 'Cause if we're young and free, then we need harmony. Yes, if we're young and free, then we need harmony. CR's annual International Women's Day broadcast: 24 hours of women and non-binary news, views, and music on Wednesday, the 8th of March. We want to celebrate the resistance, talent, strengths, and power of women and genderqueer living here in the Kulin Nation, and of those living, fighting, and creating change all over so-called Australia. And the world. This International Women's Day celebration is a celebration of feminism that knows that liberation from gender depression can never be achieved without dismantling all systems of domination and subjugation. From midnight Sunday, the 7th of March, until midnight on Monday, the 8th of March, we'll bring you 24 hours of radio by women and non-binary presenters, producers, and musicians. For details, go to 3cr.org.au/iwd2023.
Should I take your hand? Would you help me understand? I'm searching for the truth there in the dark. I know I don't know, but there's a yearning in my heart, and it speaks to me. If I'm awake or sleeping. Some time to feel your good heart, feeling mine. I've been hurting for a past I cannot change. I'm not looking for anyone to blame. So just walk beside me to a place where we'll be free. Yeah. 
from every corner of the world. They came from all around when in 1851 they struck gold upon the ground. Every voyage was a long one, months upon the stormy sea. Some to seek their fortune, others escaping slavery. What they found on the gold fields was ruled by brutish thugs, discrimination and taxation mixed with swinging billy clubs. The gold was getting scarcer and cops were getting worse. The diggers burned their licenses and vowed to end this curse. They swore an oath beneath the Southern Cross. They'd stand together and break the license laws. From twenty different nations they gathered here as one in Ballarat beneath the southern sun. The crown tried to divide them, giving preference to some. The diggers wouldn't have it, they said it's all of us or none. They built a stockade while the redcoats massed nearby and they heard the mine. And that was Crush the Super Yacht. Uh, sorry, that was Song for the Eureka Stockade by David Rovix. And before that, we played Crush the Super Yacht by... I'm not sure what the artist's name is, but the song is called Crush the Super Yacht. And before that, we also played a song from the Divinals called Back to the Wall. And now um, we're just taking a little bit of a detour and... And we'll be, I'll be handing it to Claudia. Unfortunately, Emily Sexton can't join us this morning for our interview. Um, So we're going to take a listen back to part of a story we brought you last week about the way in which the media uh, is reporting on um, Alice Springs and some of the issues there. We spoke to Evan Wallace, who's a former 3CR Breakfast presenter who now works for the ABC in Alice Springs, and Evan gave us his views on the way in which the media um, operates in big and small uh, units, whether they're national media organisations or smaller independent or local uh, media outlets. And he uh, was able to uh, give us um, a picture of the way in which fly-in, fly-out journalism can sometimes uh, bring a spotlight to issues in a way that doesn't give the full framework and also can draw uh, particular attention to a community um, and, and, and not sort of frame the, the, the issues as one that can be more widely experienced So um, we're going to revisit a little bit of that interview where Evan talks about the way in which communities uh, with their own media outlets, whether it be regional or local newspapers or organisations like 3CR, can bring some of that on the ground uh, perspective. And we're going to listen to what he said now. I just wanted to shift now to talk about the role of local newspapers and community outlets, uh, including community radio, in terms of the way they approach telling stories and what they bring to the table as a contrast to 
for example, a national network that might fly in someone to cover a particular story. I was just having a skim through a couple of the local Alice newspapers today and just noticing that the top stories weren't about this so-called crisis. Um, There was one about flood mitigation, uh, another one about children searching for bush tomatoes as part of a a cultural program in an on-country school. There was mention of some of the the issues that have uh, we've talked about today, but it wasn't dominating and there was so much more happening, which I found really interesting. Oh, no question. And someone who used to work for a local newspaper and who has been really immersed and connected to different community media organisations over the years, um, I think that in answering your question, the role that community media plays and organisations such as 3CR, also local newspapers as well too that you referred to, is essential. People really want to be able to tap into different conversations, to have alternative perspectives, to be able to see really excellent grassroots initiatives, things that are being led from the community up. So you talked about uh, really fascinating flood mitigation initiatives or looking at um, local horticultural approaches. And that's that's really so critical that uh, those stories are shared and that there's a format and that there's a place where people can learn about what is occurring and emerging within the world immediate world around them and it can inspire people to go on to uh, think about things that may actually contribute and support that community in turn Uh, i think also too uh, to be able to have a, a rich debate of um multiple perspectives that isn't just limited to those that you'll hear on the major broadcasters. It's critical in terms of idea development, uh, in terms of trying to think about who's being left out. Uh, can really they, they play such a, an essential role in widening the conversation and also reflecting a much uh, greater portion of the community. And I guess um, responding to your comment about the sort of fly-in, fly-out approach, there's a constancy that local media outlets bring to whatever they're talking about. They're, you know, like the grassroots advocates, the not-for-profit support organisations are sort of continuously dedicated to um, dealing with whatever their uh, agenda is. They're the cheerleaders and champions for those communities as well too. Uh, that community media will take all sorts of different forms, and local media the same. They may be more politically oriented, or they may be more about um, being a, a news bulletin uh, for events and, and activities. But regardless of what the gears are, they are still, as you say there they're willing people on they're showcasing really special stuff that will never get acknowledged um on uh, the big screen uh or you know across uh across the major national state papers and that is just critical that uh um that they're there to play that role because people lose 
that option of seeing their own immediate community reflected to them, I think, and can actually contribute to individuals feeling that what they're doing isn't something that's valued or, or recognized. So just to be able to spur people on to encourage individuals to show that there is huge worthiness and merit in often the most and often what can be the most small scale activities that's that's invaluable and that's uh, something which all you, you know which you just want to uh last as long as you can and, and hopefully actually thinking of it another way even strengthen if that's at all possible here in Alice Springs uh we've lost our local newspaper so the main news that comes through uh is through the nt news it used to be the centralian advocate uh that would uh, play a, a significant role yes there's an online website that you're talking about but it's reports quite sporadically on what is occurring in the community but there is news and reports that local newspaper will be returning to Alice Springs, which would be incredible uh, for that to occur because we live in an environment of such fleeting moments that when you have something hard and physical uh, that's capturing what's there and what's there within the community, it doesn't matter where and how you stumble across it. There's that magical moment of the newspaper being there in the cafe or there on someone's table where all of a sudden you can learn so much incidentally that that knowledge and that news can really enrich a network of, of people's lives just through an awareness that something's on and something's happening or that something's different. And so, uh, yeah, I just want to see more of that across Australia is um, backing and support and assistance for both um, local community media such as 3CR but also to uh, local media more widely as well at that, at that, at that town-based level in regional and remote Australia. That's, uh, that's all I hope for when thinking about uh, how people can stay across the news that they've got those multiple tiers that they can connect. And that was Evan Wallace, a journalist on the ground in Alice Springs, talking about the about the way the media has been reporting on recent events in Alice Springs and the role of local and community media, bringing independent and often a unique lens to deep issues affecting communities. So we're coming to the end of our show now. We'd like to thank all of our listeners for tuning in this morning for our 1st of March 3CR Wednesday breakfast show. And thank our guests. Yes, yes. It's so great to talk to all of them. Liz Downs from the Rainforest uh, or Ecuador um, Endangered Campaign, and uh, they've got that event happening tomorrow night. And uh, Sunara's piece on the Iranian poet um, was a very beautiful and tender way and to very, open the show. So this moving. Morning. Yeah, very yeah, emotional well. start to the show. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, it's also very important to know what um, people in exile are going through and, you know, how, yeah, basically that, yeah. Yeah, the lived experiences of people who have been, uh, yeah, involved, as you said, since 1979. Um, 
next week we have a special show. It's International Women's Day. So next week, the 8th of March, we'll be presenting an all-women's presenters and all-women interview guests. Yeah. Um, all so, women. yeah, and 3CR will be broadcasting for 24 hours uh, non-stop next Wednesday, so you can tune in at any time of the day and you'll be hearing from women and uh, non-conforming gender and non-binary people. Um, so, yeah, we'll look forward to joining you next week. Yeah, but do come and listen to Wednesday Breakfast. And <laughs> so good to see everyone, all these people in the studio and even people coming in for interviews. That's so exciting. Yeah. So good to have you back, Judith. Oh, thank you. Well, <laughs> nice to have you back, Grace. <laughs> yeah. And, every, and also a big thanks, Claudia, to Nara for holding the, everything thank you, while everyone. we went away. Thank yeah. you so much. See you it's next so great week. to have a full studio again. And we'll see you all next week for International Women's Day. Have a nice week. 3CR would like to thank our sponsors, Earth Greetings. Cards that connect, care, and celebrate. Support wildlife and habitat with every purchase. Inspired by nature, giving back to the planet. Learn more at earthgreetings.com.au. 3CR Breakfast would like to thank the New International Bookshop, Melbourne's independent radical bookstore and venue, for their financial support of this program. You can find Nibs in the basement of Trades Hall in Victoria Street, Carlton. And while you're there, check out Radical Coffee, a worker-run cooperative cafe in the courtyard. Keep up to date with upcoming events at nibs.org.au.